good morning, church. Oh, um, we're uh, we've got we've got some work to do this morning. Sarah's already asleep. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you this morning, and I'm glad to be um, taking a step through uh, our, our series that we've called Journey Together. Um, just to pause uh, briefly, if you've been with us for a while, this is actually the second time in a relatively short period that we've been through this letter to the Philippians. So how many of us remember the series that we call Joy in the Journey? Does anybody remember that? There was a Volkswagen bus. Yeah, like that's how my brain works. Like what picture went along with it? And then, and then the song that we learned at that time was The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. Um, and we have sung that one regularly since then. And so I was a little bit, little bit hesitant to jump back into Philippians again so soon. That actually has not even been more than like a year and a half since we've gone through it. And um, so part of us working together with the team in Sebring, this was something that they felt like their congregation really needed. And I was like, I don't know if this is something we need or something that will be helpful to us. And I've been so pleased, and I shouldn't be surprised. Um, but I've been so pleased that as we've gone through this, like God has brought the same truths out in new ways. And a lot of it has actually been because of the pacing. Our pacing going through it is a little bit different than it was the last time. Um, so we've spent a ton of time in chapter 2, and I think for good reason, because chapter 2 contains that, what we call the Christ hymn, the song that Paul was teaching or reminding them of that, fo- that focuses on the humility of Christ. And the whole letter is built around that. And we really, I think I did all of chapter 2 in one week last time and really did a disservice, but I've been glad to be going through that. But having laid that foundation now, we get to some of the more practical things um, that are related to the letter. But we have to keep in the back of our mind the humility of Christ. And who is excited to be humble this morning? Yeah, not even me. Well, Barry's got it. I raised my hand up to, to try and encourage you to do it. But like, no, none of us runs out of bed in the morning like, I just can't wait to be humiliated today. Like, I just want everybody to, I want to be the servant of all people, especially those who appreciate me the least. Like, those are the people I'm just, I'm anxious and ready to serve this morning. Um, My my self-talk doesn't go like that in the morning. Usually it's like, again, why are we waking up again? Um, But Christ is, (laughs) yeah, why have we lost an hour, Uh, especially this morning? Um, why do we continue to do this to ourselves every year where we cut an hour away? Um, and obviously whoever invented daylight savings time didn't have children because they don't care what time it is. But nevertheless, uh, Christ is shaping me and reshaping my thinking in the morning. And I think in our passage this morning, um, he's going to continue to shape us in how we think about uh, where we've come from and as we think about where we're going. So I, I'd like to dive in to Philippians chapter 3, but before you begin to turn there, I know I announced it, so now we got to look, but before we get there, let's just pause together uh, and pray together, and I just invite you to pray with me uh, the disciples' prayer. This is 
not magic words. They don't bring down fire from heaven that help us to face everything. But this is the model of prayer. These are the ideas and the attitudes Jesus wanted for us to pray. And it's helpful for us if we're all going to pray it together for us to use the same words. So I've got the words up on the screen um, if you're unfamiliar with it. Um, but many of us are familiar with it in some way, shape, or form. So let's pray together uh, the disciples' prayer as we begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3? If you're using the Blue Bibles, they're either stuck under your chair or under the chair in front of you. It's on page 1223 in the Blue Bibles, or you navigate to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Um, And if you're just looking at the page, you'll see that there's a really long paragraph here. I'm going to break that paragraph in half. And because uh, there's just a lot, of, a, a lot of information packed in here. Remember, as we're looking at this letter, we're reading somebody else's mail. And so sometimes when you're reading somebody else's mail, there are things that we can say uh, to one another that we understand what we mean. We didn't necessarily say the words we meant, but we know that by what we said, we communicated meaning. Um, in the same way as we read somebody else's mail, there may be some things that on the surface we don't get, and it takes us a little bit of time to wrap our heads around. So, would you read with me in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Finally, and let me just say, real quick, he's starting chapter 3 with finally, and then he's going to go on to write chapter 4. So, like, this is, this is a thing with preachers. We say finally just to get your attention, but we have no intention of stopping. So just so you know, Paul did it. I'm using it. It's biblical. There we go. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I'm going to pause there. There's a lot of things to unpack, and uh, probably the first thing that sticks out in our mind as American readers is, he said circumcision in a letter. That's kind of weird. We don't really talk about that unless we're talking about babies. So why would this church leader bring up this kind of uncomfortable subject? Well, let me, let me start where he starts. He said, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So he's, he, remember, he is writing from house arrest. He's been arrested and he's imprisoned and this church has been concerned for him. And he's writing to inform them, like, 
yeah, this looks bad on the surface, but it actually has served to advance the gospel. So you should rejoice that I'm in prison, which is typically not how we think. There's a mind shift that's shifting here. So he's saying, hey, I know we've been through a lot, like, but just remember, remember, rejoice in the Lord. Like for me to say this again, it's, it's not, it doesn't cost me anything, but it's good for you to remember that your attitude towards difficult times and suffering, especially when they're advancing the gospel, is to rejoice. And then he writes this warning, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. So when he writes, look out for the dogs, likely the people who were in Philippi knew exactly who he was talking about. We are not really sure, (laughs) because he doesn't say, look out for the dogs, this is exactly who they are and what they do. He just says, you guys, you know who I'm talking about. Um, You probably have nicknames for people that you can communicate with your loved ones about. Um, you know, probably the, the safest example uh, is, you know, if, if you're trying to communicate in code, like the eagle has landed, if you're planning a, sub- a surprise birthday party. Everybody who, who's in on the surprise birthday party knows who the eagle is, um, but maybe the eagle has no idea that they are the eagle. In the same way, he says, look out for the dogs. We're, we kind of have to piece together some, some clues about what's going on in order to identify who the dogs are. What do we know about them? Uh, they're evildoers. They uh, mutilate the flesh. And then he goes on to talk about circumcision. We are the circumcision. So likely, um, and this is best case scenario, trying to piece together some data, likely these are people who have a Jewish background. Who, who insisted that uh, Jesus um, may have been the Messiah, but if you want to be able to be right with God, you have to become a Jew. And the sign, like the sign that God gave to the Jewish people as like, you guys belong to me, is circumcision. So it's, it's for Jewish people to be circumcised. It wasn't a medical thing. It was actually a covenant thing. It was a sign that we belong to God. And it was something that they would do to their kids on the eighth day. And this was something that God had lined out for them. And it was something that they took very seriously. I think that's kind of a weird sign. Like, why would, God, why would you pick that? And the best that I can guess as far as why, because God often tells us what to do. He often tells us what happens. He doesn't always tell us the why. Um, is he wanted the guys to have a a stake in the game. He wanted the guys to have some ownership. Um, And I don't know of any other way to, like, get a guy's head around, like, you belong to me, than to say, this part of you belongs to me. And so that's the best I got. So he's, he's saying, but what Paul is saying here about these people, he says, we are the circumcision. So he's making a distinction. He says, there's people who hold this up as a sign and a mark that we are special from God. But, he's, but Paul is saying, they might use that, but we actually are the circumcision. And even in, in Old Testament and in, in Hebrew scriptures, God would say, the circumcision was a sign in your body of what I wanted to do in your heart. I wanted you to be circumcised of heart. I wanted you to belong to me and be submitted to me in your heart, not just that you have this mark in your body. Because honestly, if you got circumcised in the eighth day, like you had no say in the matter, right? So he's saying, that's how they identify themselves, but we actually are the ones who are circumcised in our hearts. We have been marked out as belonging to God by the way that our, our heart has been shaped by the love of Christ. And because we are the circumcision, we worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus. Our focus is on Him. We put Jesus first in everything that we do, and we put no confidence in the flesh. 
So this is a group of people that looked at themselves and said, like, we have this mark that we belong to God. And Paul says, we have no confidence that anything we've done in the flesh is what's going to make us right with God. It's only by his grace that he's extended to us that we can have this circumcision of our heart, right? And then Paul goes a step further. He said, look, if you want to talk confidence in the flesh, I got some credentials. He said, though, my, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, I can play that game if you want to play that game. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists off his credentials. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now remember at this time, it wasn't necessarily a given that people could track their lineage. There had been a lot of things that were going on in the Hebrew nation. Um, and even in the Hebrew scriptures, there were times where people couldn't remember what tribe they belonged to. But Paul not only was a Jew, an observant Jew who belonged to a good family who did the right things for him at his childhood, but they kept track of what tribe they belonged to. And that was not nothing in, their t- in that time period. He knows who they are. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. So we remember Jesus' conversation earlier, decades earlier, he often went to, went to war with the Pharisees. He often was at odds with them because they would hold up the scripture and they would add things onto the scripture. And Jesus said, You're, you are manipulating what God said to serve your own means. Paul says, I knew the law so well that I had added on these things to it. And I knew how to play, have the conversation. I was a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I don't know about you. I read passages like this. Um, Oftentimes this refrain will come up in the Psalms, in the prayers of the saints. Uh, I am blameless before you, God. And I don't think I've ever been able to make that claim. I've never, I I have talked to um, people of Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons who like, they have things that they have to do in order to be saved. And I thought, you've got a lot more, you bet on yourself way more than I ever possibly could. Like I know myself too well to think that I could earn my way into right standing with God. But Paul says, when it comes down to keeping the law, I nailed it. Sabbath day, I knew how far I went. Never went too far. Kept it every day of my life, or every week of my life. Purity laws, I knew when I was unclean, I made sure I washed up real good. Um, uh, kosher laws, my food, the, the foods that were supposed to be separated were always separated. I was, I was holy, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, separated in my diet all the time. Under, righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And when I read stuff like that, I go, man, that's amazing. Like, how, how, how would you do that? Um, but he says, his conclusion after talking about all of the reasons why he has reason to be confident in the flesh, he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted for loss, as loss for the sake of Christ. See, trusting Jesus reorders our priorities. And, and following Jesus changes how we see the good and the bad in life. Right? So he's saying all these things that were good, all these things that were to my account, some of these things that were uh, inherited, like it was only because my parents were on their A-game that I have the privilege of being able to make these claims. But, but all of those things that I thought were good as I went forward, um, I count as loss. 
He had every advantage in the world. He came from a good family. He, he knew the law growing up. And, and some of us go like, well, lucky him. Like I, I grew up in a, in a, my home was super jacked up. And we, we never talked about the Bible. We, God was a swear word. Jesus Christ was an unholy swear word in our house. Like we didn't have that. We didn't have that background. I'm so glad that, that Paul had those advantages, but I don't have those advantages. But it makes me wonder, what are the advantages that we do cling to? It might not be that I have a good background. It might not be I have a good family. It might not be that I have a good understanding of God and a relationship. But there are things that we hold of a high value. I have an open mind. I'm teachable. And those things are good things. I'm not saying they're, they're bad things, but I'm saying if we say, I have, I have an open mind and I'm willing to learn things, and yet we allow that to keep us from learning the truth about who God is, and when God brings us to a definitive declarative statement, we might go, well, that's, that, that might be true. I've got more to learn. Then that's an advantage that we've taken and put before Christ. What advantages distract us from putting our whole trust in Christ? It might be a good background. It might be that you, you took a shower this morning and you smell nice. It might be that you're really, really smart and you can get all this stuff figured out and ironed out. What advantages do we have that distract us from putting our whole trust in Christ? Because Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So let's continue reading. He's going to elaborate here. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I have to turn the page. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The gospel is the good news, and there are a number of ways to articulate it. Um, my, my favorite phrase, or my favorite way to articulate it comes from 1 Corinthians 15, that the good news is that Jesus was born, he died, and was resurrected, and that he's coming again. Like, the death, burial, resurrection, and promise to return. That's the good news, that Christ has overcome the grave. But here's another expression of the gospel and the good news. That if, because Jesus has done all that, we can know Christ. The gospel in two words is knowing Christ. He says it in verse 8 here. He says it again in verse 10. Knowing Christ is, is the focus here for Paul. And that's where our reading was from this morning. Even, even all the way back in Jeremiah's time, in, 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 in the ancient times, uh, it was, let not man boast in his riches, let not man boast in his wisdom, but the one who boasts, let him boast in this, that he knows me, that I... And Yahweh, who extends steadfast love and righteousness and justice. And that brings us to our big idea. Like, I, I, wanna, I want us to, 
to get this, truly knowing Jesus is the destination for our journey together. In John, as Jesus is speaking with his disciples in the upper room right before um, he's taken away to be uh, put on a kangaroo cord and tried and, and executed, his last words to his disciples and part of that discourse, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing Jesus is the destination for our journey together. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just knowing about him, not just having statistics, not just like baseball facts about who Jesus is. I know his scorecard. I liked his profile picture on Facebook. Like, not just knowing about Christ, but knowing him intimately. We have dined together. He has come into my home. He has shared meals with me. He has given me uh, he has laid a table before me and I have ate his food and I've brought him into my house and I've allowed him to rearrange my furniture and to knock down walls. Like, there are not many friends I trust with home remodels, but that's the intimacy of knowing Jesus that he's pointing at. Knowing, truly knowing Jesus is the destination for our journey. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, um, that word in particular is a really strong word, and perhaps uh, we miss it. So it's, it's, it's garbage, yes. It's, it's refuse. Um, it is, it is the, the garbage that's coming out of a hospital in a bright red bag. I count all of these good things, all of these advantages, all of my righteousness that I had earned under the law, I count all of that as Biological waste compared to knowing Christ. In order that I may gain Christ, having been found in him and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not something that I have earned, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And faith is, faith is a, a, a church word. Um, and the one that I tend to use is trust. Do we trust Jesus? Do we look at his death, burial, resurrection, and promise to return and say, I don't know all of the ins and outs of how exactly that worked, but I trust that whatever that was, that is what made it right for me to be right with you. I trust that. Do I stand on it? <clears throat> Hypothetically, I have faith in these chairs. Uh, there have not been many of these chairs that have failed me. <laughs> but how do I know if I trust these chairs? I don't hesitate to stand on them. And so, are we trusting Christ in actuality, in our relationships with God, as we come to God in prayer and we're praying, forgive me as I forgive others, not because I can nail this, not because I, but because I'm trusting that if Christ has forgiven every sin, then I don't need to make them pay for what they did to me. 
But notice too that the resurrection power, the, the, the power that brought Jesus back from the dead does not exclude us from suffering. I want to know Christ and have his righteousness that I may know, in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If we journey together following Jesus, we'll be concerned for one another at risk to ourselves. So how how is it that we're getting to know Jesus? How is it that we're growing in our trust of him? The the pat Sunday morning answer, read your Bible more, spend more time in prayer. And I think that those are true, um, but I do invite us to think a little bit deeper. If we can put it on an earthly plane for a moment. If you're meeting somebody for the first time and it's just you two in a room, uh, maybe you have better social skills than me, but I'm real awkward trying to figure out, like, what do I ask? Like, what are they giving me? Like, I don't want to offend them, but I kind of, maybe I do want to offend them. Like, I don't know if I like them. Do they like me? Like, there's all these things that are going on in my head. But if I'm meeting somebody for the first time and there's two or three people around me who already know that person and they kind of know me too, that introduction is a lot easier because those, those friends are going to be like, oh, well, ask them about this story. Or, or no, tell them about that one time. And like, there's, there's more of a conversation that's happening. It's less awkward and things like that. So maybe as we are getting to know Jesus, maybe if we're far away from Jesus, the thing that we need is people to help us to be introduced to him. As we read the word, not just to read it by ourselves and go, I don't really understand this, but for us to read it and absorb it together and be like, I think this is, I think this is where Jesus is directing me. I need to forgive my sister, my brother, my coworker, my classmate. I need to reconcile. How are we getting to know Jesus? Because truly knowing Jesus is the destination for our journey together. And if you're overwhelmed, if you're browbeat, if you're thinking, great, like that just seems unattainable. Look with me in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. Amen, hallelujah. I'm going to do it again. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Christ is in the process and in, in the business of reshaping our thinking. So Paul starts off in a place that I'm very thankful for because reading other parts of his letters, it sounds like he's got it all nailed down. But at least here in Philippians, he tells him outright, like, I, I'm, I'm not finished with this yet. Not that I've already obtained this or I am perfect, but I am pressing on. I acknowledge that Christ has made me his own, and so I go on to make him my own. And I have to change how I think about my life in order to do that. Forgetting what lies behind, I press forward 
to the upward call. So if we're, if we're going to stay in this passage still, then we are forgetting what lies behind. We're forgetting our advantages. We're forgetting the good family we came from or the righteousness that we feel like we had earned, the right standing with God, that we were a good enough person. We, lay, we forget all that. And we are straining forward and looking forward to the hope that I don't necessarily know how all of it works, but I trust that Jesus is the one who's paying it all. And if I'm trusting him to pay it all, then I can be a forgiving person knowing that I don't have to make people pay for their sin against me or against other people. <clears throat> he says, this sounds a little condescending the first time around. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. <laughs> if, you th- if you're kind of frustrated by this or you're not quite sure you're on board yet, that's okay. God's going to teach you. Like, you'll get around to it one day. Um, but I don't think Paul means it condescendingly. The rest of the tone of the letter is not condescending. And especially when he's just confessed, like, I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I'm saying this is where I'm at right now. And as we journey together toward Christ, like if we have the same goal, then eventually we're going to begin to think along the same lines, no matter which direction we were coming from. And there's space. In verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. There's a sense in which sometimes around church we feel like we have to have it all put together and all finished we have to have our doctrinal statements memorized and our T's dotted and our I's crossed. See what I did there? <clears throat> our T's crossed and our I's dotted. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The thing that we're accountable to is the thing that God is working on in your heart right now. There is a whole picture of how the world works, there is a biblical worldview. But none of us starts there. And, and the process of, of learning how to see the world, how Jesus sees it, is just that. It is a process that none of us have finished well. So the ask is not to adopt this whole big book of rules. The ask is, what is the next invitation Jesus is inviting you or what, to accept? Is it... Trust me that I will save you from your sin and make you friends with God. Is it, trust me that through me you can forgive the people that have hurt you? Is it, trust me that you can be transparent with those people about those struggles that you have and they can help you with it? Is it, trust me that you can actually lay aside some of those things that are sucking all your time up and you can serve your community And God in his grace is patient with us and asks us to only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is the next step for us? Are we satisfied with what we know about Jesus? Are we content with how things are between us now? And if not, What's the next thing he's asking us to step into? Because truly knowing Jesus is the destination for our journey together. Would you pray with me?
We need you. God, there's, it's always true, but there's times where we are more aware of it than others. And So God, as we look at this, as we think about the things we might try to throw up and, and, and commend ourselves to you, we're reminded that all of that is garbage. But it's garbage in light of the love and the grace that you have poured out on us through your son, Jesus. So God, would you captivate our attention at what you have done on our behalf? Would that shape our affections and the things that we want and the things that we want to do? And Lord, would you use us in spite of ourselves to shine bright lights in dark places? to introduce our neighbors to you and to invite them to follow you. So that this great friendship that you are growing in us between you and with one another can be known by others too. God, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.